Petersfield's Shine Radio. Welcome to Dogs With Jobs. I'm Kate Fairweather and boy do I have a treat for you this month. Uh, I had the most fascinating visit to the charity Medical Detection Dogs a couple of weeks ago and the four dogs that you're going to hear about today are four of a wider number of medical detection dogs um, working in that gap where medical technology doesn't quite have the answers and dogs and their abilities, their amazing olfactory abilities, are being harnessed for the greater good. It's a really inspiring tale, a wonderful mixture of science and dog obsession, right up my street, probably up yours. And although the the range of what my interviewee Dr Claire Guest talks about and what the dogs within the charity are doing now because they're always working on a different project. The origins of the charity lie in cancer detection which is a subject that is very close to my heart and perhaps it's close to you or yours as well. I think it's rather inspiring how often dogs that are doing incredibly well in their working lives are rescues or failed pets. They've been unable to just exist as pets and human companions because they've got a high play drive or whatever and they're just happier and really find themselves in the working world. And I wanted to point that out because it keeps happening in these episodes. So the interviewee today is Dr Claire Guest who is Chief Executive Officer and Founder of the charity Medical Detection Dogs. We have a very wide-ranging conversation that takes in her wonderful views on dogs, their abilities and it's basically a cracking listen. So enjoy. Um, I'm with Claire Guest, who mm-hmm. is the Chief Executive Officer of Medical Detection Dogs, the charity. And I'm actually sitting in Claire's office, which is wonderfully full of dog accoutrements, which makes <laughs> me feel right at home. <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> Thanks so much for talking to me. Get, tell me how everything started. I know the charity is about to celebrate 15 years. Absolutely. And I, I can't believe it's 15 years, but... It started actually because, if you like, the dogs showed us what they were able to do. So it started because of anecdotes. So people who were coming forward saying that they believed their dog had warned them about a disease. And actually, very significantly, some of the stories were cancer. Um, For me, a a behavioural psychologist working at another assistance dog charity, I was um, amazed to meet a lady who told me her story as a young girl uh, when she was 19, 20, in the 90s and 20s. Um, she had a pet Dalmatian dog that kept sniffing at a mole on her calf. And she said the sniffing was really quite invasive in that the dog wouldn't leave this mole alone. And she said, you know, she could be walking past um, with, with boots or trousers, you know, and the dog's nose would twitch. And she said it would come across to me and start sniffing this mole. She went to her GP, um, eventually, more because of the nuisance factor, uh, the GP removed them all and she was called back to be told she had malignant melanoma, a serious form of skin cancer in a young, well, in anybody, but certainly in a young person would have almost certainly, sadly, resulted in losing her life. Now, when she told me this story, I was working um, with spaniels uh, as a hobby, training spaniels um, as gun dogs, and I had this passion for actually using uh, working with dogs using their nose a sense of smell because it's their you know it's the way they view the world 
and actually we'd spent the last you know 15 20 years you know before that um trying to train dogs not to use their nose you know it became very very sort of the way people train is to not let the dog sniff that is quite an interesting perspective that i'm sure <laughs> a lot of people would would relate to yeah i often think when my beagle catches a smell it's like there's a dimension yeah that he's living in and i'm absolutely, not living in absolutely but i hadn't thought of it that way around yeah. that in effect we've been training them counterintuitively exactly to ignore that and we've been sort of saying to our dogs you know don't sniff you know, with due respect don't sniff that person's crotch because that's very embarrassing mm. you know don't sniff that person there because that's super embarrassing Stop it. Stop it. Stop it. Yeah. i do apologize you know don't know what they're doing sort of thing and actually <laughs> We were reducing that ability of dogs to use that incredible and not rewarding it, not rewarding it, but also actually making it almost a negative thing. And you know, in terms of what we can learn from our dogs, but also in terms of our relationship with our dog, probably the dog saying, "Hey, I want to say, why do you keep stopping me doing the very thing that's you know my most powerful sense?" So. I was absolutely convinced from that time on that. When was this? Uh, so, oh goodness me, two, the year two thousand. Okay. So, convinced that you know this dog had been had, had smelled something, and um, actually the story was previous to that, but it was in the year two thousand it all came to be because I made it my sort of life's focus that if I ever got the opportunity to train dogs to detect cancer, that's what I wanted to do, and heard Dr John Church talk on the radio he was talking about all the anecdotes he'd heard similar to Jill's story he'd published in the Lancet Medical Journal and he was saying on Radio 4 if anybody out there is a dog trainer who wants to help me prove this then could they come forward I did and we found we lived 20 minutes from each other gosh that was in the stars wasn't it it was it was so we did the first study together with the Bucks NHS Trust um, that was published in the British Medical Journal. Was nothing like this going on? It's funny in, in the world, isn't it? Whenever things happen in one place, they've started in another place as well. So there was a team in California that were doing breast cancer and doing it off breath, breath samples. Um, we actually published ahead of them, which in the publishing, in the, in the research world. world, that's very <laughs> important, you know. But actually, yes, of course, it was the start of this sudden awareness of what dogs might be able to do in the system with human health. Following the BMJ publication... British Medical Journal. British Medical Journal, actually, which, which was massive. Can you imagine it? You know, some, you know, my dog Tan, Tangle, who was one of the lead dogs in that first study, um, who our um, logo has been made um, from his his profile. Um, you know, he was demonstrating in front of cameras that it was, being going, it was going all over the world. And at that point, I knew or believed that, you know, there should be further investigation and that, you know, I didn't know what the charity would, would be like or look like, but I really wanted this to be taken forward. But I didn't, you know, ever believe actually in terms of cancer that there would be a dog in every waiting room. That was, of course, what immediately the papers picked up on the media. You know, Dr. Dog will see you now. You can imagine the headlines. You yes, know. I can. Um, and actually that for cancer was never never what we what we we saw it was very much that do you think that's because of your scientific background um i think and, and actually more as well to the fact that i have you know course and the whole charity has a real focus um in, on dog welfare and you know really knew that you know 
what we needed to do in this in the case of particular disease like cancer is learn from what the dog was telling us rather than have dogs you know sat in kennels coming out and sniffing hundreds of samples which is more of a military model in a way yeah or just uh, yes a sort of you know it would be very much a sort of um not talking about the relationship so much i'm you know, saying that um all dogs that work with humans have fantastic relationships but it, it was never that I saw that it would be a sort of a doctrine of a, a dog in every waiting room and this dog would be wheeled out to do its job that wasn't really you know how we saw it mm. but of course very very quickly having you know set this sort of um proof of concept that dogs smell cancer then of course you start hearing other stories you know I started getting contacted by people saying that oh you know I think my dog can tell me tells me when my blood sugars are low um, and you know, I started to hear a number of these stories, so it wasn't just a one-off. There was a pattern, and once I sort of saw this pattern, I thought, right, you know, this is somewhere where the dog and the person together it's going to be a massive, massive um, change in the way that you know we see our dogs working with us and, and living with us. So that's how it came that at the same time we carried on doing the biodetection research, we started to do assistance dogs as well, and then um, the charity was formed. You know, encompassing both sides. That's how we got where we are. Fascinating. Yes. Backstory. Do you think at the time, I mean, it coincided with things like larval therapy, sort of old medieval yes, things, yeah, perhaps, yeah, where we yeah. were living more closely. Yeah. Abs- with. N- <sighs> solutions from the natural world around us were slightly starting to come back i think in some ways yes i think the interesting thing is that of course one thing i hadn't anticipated so much perhaps rather naively was that after the the, the publication of bmj um there was this sudden interest and then this huge skepticism it's like a wall of skepticism was that the sort of traditional it was yeah it was it was it was traditional research into any form of life-threatening disease where people were saying oh come on you know uh, you know, we, we, we've been at this for many, many years, and with all due respect, we don't think a dog can teach us anything. <laughs> you know that that sort of. And so I had to keep sort of flying the flag. Actually, you know, let's look back at nature and 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 what nature provides us in terms of answers in development. Um, and you know, to fly the flag and say, well, you know, okay, even if you don't, as a researcher, see that a dog ultimately might not be the um, long term. Um, way in which a particular disease is, is is diagnosed then certainly you know we can we can we can learn from what the dog does and, and, and apply that or it can guide as to direction exactly. of travel exactly of but of course what we found is that there are many many conditions we're working with where there is no alternative at the moment and you know whilst it's very like like what well for, for, for some of the work that we were doing in prostate cancer originally i mean and and we had a, a test, a PSA test, that was being done that had a 75% false positive rate. So okay. three out of four men that get a positive test actually haven't got prostate cancer, but that leaves you with this big issue of whether or not you biopsy all those men and then damage three healthy prostates. Mm-hmm. Or you leave, who do you leave? And then one of them might turn out to be very aggressive prostate cancer and sadly lose their life. So, you know, the fact that... Um, you know, there are tests being done at the moment and they're sort of clinical, you know, approved tests. doesn't mean that by any means 100% it can't be improved upon. Um, equally, at that time, in terms of, uh, of medical alert dogs, you know, people who were suffering and had had, as young children, um, 
diabetes and had very, very primitive ways of testing. I mean, talking about young children now who are adults now that are having their fingers pricked sometimes every few minutes, you know, to see what, to their, blood, blood, what their blood sugars are doing. Very, very, very sore hands. Um, and then being ejected by the parents, you know, with, with insulin. And, you know, we're talking about 15, 20 years ago, this is what was being done. And children were getting really resistant to it. I mean, you know, they didn't want to have their fingers picked all the time. Now, at that time, they you were suffering from these, you know, um, unrecognised hyperglycemic events. And, you know, there, there wasn't anything, there wasn't an alternative. Well, OK, we can sit here now, you know, 15 years on and say, OK, well, now there is. There's the Libra device, there's a scan device, there's the Dexcom, there's, you know, this technology which is now taken over. But... You know, and that's fantastic, and it's meaning that we are moving with our dogs to another con other conditions where our dogs can support. But we're working with conditions where there isn't currently no support or indication. Or it sounds like, with your example of 75% uh, false positives, mm -hmm. you're kind of identifying lacuna or gaps in exactly. effectiveness exactly. of traditional medicine. Exactly, and that's where dogs can assist. So it was never that we were saying, you know, the dogs are the alternative for everything and everyone. Mm -hmm. What we're saying is... They know something we don't. And of yeah. course, my personal um, experience very much sort of compounded that because. What was um, that? So, Daisy, my prostate cancer dog, who was the first dog to indicate that a dog that could be trained on bladder cancer could almost immediately transfer to prostate cancer, which told the scientists something straight away. Okay, so there's a. Com there's, there there's is a commonality there. Commonality, absolutely. Um, and so she was working on the prostate cancer study and uh, you know started she'd lived with me since an, an eight week old pup and started to become a little bit sort of concerned about she just looked a bit anxious if I'd upset her actually um, <laughs> in fact one of the other trainers said to me if you upset Daisy and I said well not that I'm aware of but you know he said she's giving me a real fun, funny look yeah. um, I took her out for you know a walk one evening let her out the back of the car and she wouldn't wouldn't jump out um, she kept on sort of staring at me and nudging at me and staring at me. So I said, oh, you know, what's the matter? He said, get off, you go. And she went off. But, you know, as I was walking around, I sort of felt where she bumped. And, oh, perhaps I can feel something. I, mean, no, I, wasn't, I wasn't worried. And I certainly had no reason to think there was a problem. But felt something. I thought, oh, yeah, perhaps I do feel something. And went to my GP. Um, my GP was immediately concerned, referred me. Um, and, you know, I had a... Um, ultimately, after seeing my consultants, had a diagnosis of a very deep-seated breast cancer, which um, on and I was that mad person who was going down to theatre. You know, I had all these I had a particular type of surgery because it was so deep-seated and had all these wires coming out of me. And I was that mad person that was saying, you know, my dog told me about this, <laughs> and they're like, yes, whatever, get you, sedate her quickly, you know. Um, but um, actually, my consultants both my consultants became absolutely taken by the charity and one of them has become a trustee and still a trustee today the oncologist so um because they were convinced that had Daisy not brought my attention to it that you know it wouldn't have been found you know, so something you, I didn't expect oh, oh my goodness oh, hello, four dogs hello four dogs just oh come back from a look at walk. you guys yeah so talk me through these guys very briefly these guys so well we have Florin at the water bowl yep. Florin is Daisy's Red niece so the, day, the dog that so wore me of my dog. 
breast cancer. Yeah, that's her niece, and she's the prostate cancer dog that is finishing the work with um, MIT over in the USA. So she is um, thirsty, thirsty, because we're up for walk. Um, she is um, the dog whose data is being sent to a researcher out in MIT who in is Boston. building the algorithm. So her olfactory genius exactly is being patterned. Yes. So what it is, if I, if you didn't know what lavender smelled like, yeah. So you'd had no experience of lavender, and um, I wanted to teach you what lavender smelled like, but I wanted to teach you to be quite clever about. It. I want to teach you what a good a good example of lavender is so what i do is i get lots of pieces of lavender and i smell them first and i and i say that's a really good example when you smell it okay. this is a bad example this is a weak example this doesn't smell of it at all and through those smells you labeling learn, them yeah you would learn wouldn't you and then you'd be able to say quite strongly to somebody else this is what i believe lavender smells like that's exactly what florin is doing and her, her colleagues are doing with with the um data so she smells a sample that is known to be prostate cancer and she indicates strongly it's prostate cancer that gives me a good measure that's a good example yeah. there may be some samples from some people that she sometimes misses so she smells and she's not sure so you're mapping what a spectrum of yeah, what prostate we... cancer might smell like to a dog that's right and you're using that to map and use ai i guess exactly. to try exactly. and replicate that. Exactly, and exactly. I guess the more data you have from your dog, exactly, the better the, better the AI learns the algorithm. Precisely that. How wildly exciting! <laughs> I know we work with Dr. Andreas Mershon from MIT, who is an incredible person himself, uh, and he's built the electronic nose, the bioelectronic nose, which is as sensitive as a dog, but hasn't got. You know, the brain of the dog. So the AI is the brain. So the yes. AI tells the, the, the nose what it's looking for. So that's what Florian And does. I guess the other thing is that that can be measured. So, so in fact, with your initial intuition that mm -hmm. perhaps we could learn about mm -hmm. our direction, yeah, what yeah. direction we should be looking in yeah. from our yeah, dog, yeah, 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 yeah. and technology follows yeah, and boosts. Absolutely. And like, like, like the Wright brothers looking at birds and thinking we can fly. Yes, which exactly makes that. absolutely yeah, all the sense. Exactly. Um, so that's Florian, and then there's Asha, who is um, just recently retired. So now Asha's Asha's your kind of media star, <laughs> right? Having been shortlisted yeah, for a Hero was, Dog of the exactly, Year at Crofts exactly, 2023. Exactly. He's um, <laughs> so he's a rescue dog. He'd had a lot of homes. Um, working cocker, I assume. Working cocker. Yeah, he had. He was quite quite, quite freshly quite freshly sheared for the yes, summer. Yes, yes, absolutely. Yeah. He's got. He's, he's got a tracker. He has actually. It's not on. Actually, he doesn't really need it, which is why it's not actually the, the box, the the, the the parts there. But the truck is not on. Um, but um, he, when I first had him, he had been through a number of homes, and he was basically on the run all the time. I mean, I think uh, a lot of people have seen dogs like this in the past. They um, sort of become stray in their mentality, not because he hadn't had homes, but he just didn't know who he belonged to or mm. what he belonged to. And as soon as he could, he'd run away. Um, and unfortunately, he was so concerned about, he, he's quite, um, I don't know what happened to him, but he's had quite, obviously had quite a lot of unpleasant things go on. So if you then tried to cap, catch him, if he'd run away, he became quite defensive. So he used to wear a tracker, yes, just so I, but I mean, okay. as you see, he doesn't need it now. But the little guy over there does need it. So the little guy over there is He's a... Dachshund. Yeah. Rescue. Uh, 
standard warhead dachshund. Claire, you're the most amazing blend of obsessive <laughs> and scientist. And wow. Yeah. <laughs> he is sort of both the love of my life, the Dachshund, they all are, but, you know, and the most difficult dog I've ever had to... <laughs> he is, uh, yeah, he came to me at three and a half years old from Dash and Rescue. He is incredible little dog. I mean, the nose... But, my God, he's got a strong personality. <laughs> and is he doing anything? Yeah, he's in training. He's passed his early scent training, and we're now waiting for him to go on to a disease. But we have to change things for him a bit, because, as you would have seen, our dogs, like Plum, for example, work off stands, where yes. they work along and sniff a, a sample yes. on a stand. Mm. Um, Iggy, not, not interested in doing it that way. Is that because he's short? Um, partly, and I just, funnily enough, I just don't, when you work with a dog, you know, you're always working with what they, what makes them excited. And for him, what makes things excited is running along the ground. Okay. So you have to get the samples at ground level. Does that make sense? So okay. he sends over the is top he, of them. Is he a, a ground or an air no, um, He would be, well, I think they were originally badge dogs, weren't they? Yes. But he, um likes sniffing along the ground right yeah so he would be so he's tracking on the ground yeah. yes so, that's so probably particularly being so short in yes, the leg yes yes it's probably heaven for him to oh he loves snuffling it. as long through... as it's snuffling along the top but he but doesn't, it doesn't like doing fit with that. your training center set he doesn't up. so he has to have his special little pots on the ground <laughs> um, which is fine in fact the first dogs all did pots on the ground um because actually we did pots on the ground first and then we went to stands do you know what i'm loving claire I'm loving how if if you were a teacher, mm-hmm. you would be the biggest proponent of child-centred learning. <laughs> <laughs> As you're running a dog charity, a dog-related yeah, charity, yeah, yeah. you're kind of going with their strengths and to. their preferences yeah. and their instincts. So tell me about the welfare side because it sounds yeah. as though everything is oriented. It's incredibly important around them. And, and you know what we have to do in order to get the best from our relationship with with dogs is we have to stop being um you know the 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 controller and 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 telling dogs that they need to do it in the way that we want them to because in that way we learn nothing you know all and all we do is inhibit the dog's ability and i mean or give them mental problems well exactly 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 and i think that um in understanding you know how dogs can do things best and i you know i always believe that um with dogs using this incredible sense of smell and a world that we have you know we have some insight into but not not huge um you know we've got to allow the dog to do that that the way in which the dog uh finds you know most motivating um these have got to be dogs that love to do it you know you you, you can't go and ask a dog to keep sniffing something if he doesn't want to because mm. actually we well they just won't will no they? they won't and you can't actually tell half the time i mean you could you know by using sophisticated equipment you could tell how many intakes of in- inhalations of you know they were doing because you can hear sniffering we can all hear sniffering our dogs can't we you know you go along the path and suddenly you hear the dog is sniffing something around it's clearly very interesting the sniff rate goes from normal sniff rate yeah. to, and then very rapid sort of rapid fire um sniff where actually they're sniffing in and out of each nostril believe it or not so is that why the change of Sniffer. Yeah, okay. this little vortex. I think anyone who has a yeah, yeah. scent obsessed dog yeah, yeah, will recognise that. And that's when this, you know, it's speeding it up, it's actually heating up the volatiles, it's actually causing a mini vortex so that they go straight up into yeah. the into the epithelium. So, you know, the, this incredible sophisticated nose. Um, but, you know, you can't make a dog do that. No. 
you just cannot make a dog do that you know and, that, that and of course it. they have been also evolving and bred partly by us mm. to mm. maximize their mm. abilities absolutely if you're absolutely. using yeah, yeah. gun dog lines yeah, exactly. and working dog lines exactly exactly i think sometimes we get over it's like if athletes married athletes yeah yeah, get yeah faster, exactly exactly and i think i think sometimes obviously we don't help ourselves just by the, the way we select genes for dogs but certainly you know i mean you can see his length of nose for example he might have he might mr dashan might have shorter legs because mm. he's he's bred to go along the ground but his length of nose is very, very, very good. And, and you can see that he would have a very, very good olfactory capability. I mean, sadly, dogs with very, very brassophallic breeds, very, very pushed in faces, have got impairment to their ability to sniff. Yes. So, you know, that would not be a breed that we would be, well, certainly in normal circumstances. Would. It's sounding to me as though you're taking as a starting point a natural ability, probably, mm-hmm. yep, through yep, the breed, yep, but yep. also you're very much looking at play drive and personality as well Absolutely. for success. Absolutely. I mean, little Asher here, um, you know, the dog with many Sorry, He's looking at me in the most adorable <laughs> way. He's beautiful. I think I'm going to call him chocolate brown, but his hair on top, fur on top, is a little bit conquer, Probably isn't highlighted, it? isn't he? Highlights, exactly. <laughs> he's, he will sniff That's you ev- all over. So I'm sorry about that. He sniffs everybody all it's over. All right. So he's very, very... Because you're absolutely right, telling dogs not to sniff because it's embarrassing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wonder if that's an English thing as well. Uh, Yeah, yeah, Embarrassment, because embarrassment is an English thing. Embarrassment, it is, yeah, yeah, absolutely. But, yeah, so he'll sniff you everywhere. Some people find it really, him slightly over-invasive. He will do a proper scan of you. You know, he'll sniff every part of you and just check you're okay. Um, And... um, you know, of course, this is encouraged. I mean, you know, with all our all our dogs, we encourage it, and yeah, it's great. You know, that's how that's how you get to know who we are. So I feel like it's almost like a little Republic of Heaven here <laughs> at I, medical detection <laughs> dogs. Dog. I'd like you, to think so. It doesn't, yeah. it doesn't always feel like that. <laughs> what's What's the general plan? I mean, as a charity, you've developed over fifteen years mm-hmm. from mm-hmm. a hunch, a bunch of anecdotes. Yep. A yep. lifelong love of dogs, yep. yeah, but not that much else at that stage that you started Ab- up. Absolutely not, and I, I think and you've developed a very structured approach. Yeah, and I, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't say it's always been easy. You know, as in, I don't think it's always easy to. Uh, our, our goal is to work with our wonderful dogs to uh, maximise the impact they can have in whatever disease we're talking about. But it hasn't always been easy decisions you know in terms of what what do we decide with very limited resource what do we decide you know is going to be our focus mm. um and you know I, clearly our work with our assistance dogs you know we have been very very um privileged and lucky to have people advising us that said look you know the work you're doing with diabetes is absolutely amazing but actually this technology is on its way so we've been able to sort of broaden what we're looking at and now of course work very much with with the pots dogs the dogs for people who have these but that's the brilliance of it i think in a way because you're actually it's the methodology yes isn't it that's yes. important yeah absolutely and if technology comes up with a brilliant solution where someone exactly. can wear a bracelet that exactly. tells them if they're having a fit absolutely you can move absolutely. on to something more challenging absolutely the work that we're doing i mean there are still some conditions of course that you know we really need the dogs can really help parkinson's for example i mean very personal story to me my dad developed parkinson's disease actually had a diagnosis about five years ago um lost his sense of smell in his 40s 
um, which is considered to be often a, a sign that you will develop Parkinson's. So he, um, Ashley used to sniff constantly at him, um, more you know more intense than intense he sniffed at you. And um, you know, sadly, my dad passed away last July. Um, devastating because he did so much to help the charity. For a condition which is the diagnosis is so poor. I mean, early diagnosis for Parkinson's is virtually non-existent. You get diagnosed with Parkinson's when you start when the damage has been done. When you start shaking. When the damage is done. You yes. Know, yes, you can start to halt it from that point or try and halt Retard. it. Retard. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But you know, the damage, the majority of the damage is done possibly 10, 15 years before that. And you think that absolutely that could have been absolutely. spotted by a dog? We, we did our first study, at, um, in, and we know that dogs can detect early Parkinson's. There's, uh, there's a human um, super sniffer who's also... Um, has been tested and can detect early Parkinson's so you know why aren't we just getting on with this you know why are we not just well also because that that plays beautifully into the you know early intervention and prevention yes yeah exactly ethos, doesn't exactly, it exactly. But actually yeah what can we do if we if we do and I know there's a question you know if if if, if treatments aren't that great what you know? What's the point of knowing early? And I think there has been a little bit of that in terms of Parkinson's. But you know, once we know early, treatments will improve. That's the truth. Mm. And we can look at lifestyle and look at things that could help us. In... And for any patient, an early diagnosis is better because mm, you can mm, organise mm. yourself mentally. Exactly. You can do exactly. so much exactly. if, if you knew exactly that was coming. Exactly. <laughs> Even if you could do nothing about it, exactly. if you knew about it, that exactly. would be a huge gift. Exactly. to anyone exactly who was so we are to... continuing with our parkinson's work and, mm. and looking for support with our parkinson's work and equally looking for an application now which i think is going to be the future which is okay coronavirus covid we did a lot of work looking at whether our dogs could detect covid on on individuals we were able to show very reliably that it could detect somebody who had the virus um, and we're looking at models even if they were not if, if, if they were asymptomatic absolutely yeah. and um we um okay the situation with covid has changed the focus has changed it isn't about testing now people are vaccinated brilliant you know absolutely um enable us to get back as much normal as we can but how do we apply what we learned and what we're looking at is applying that to our detection of bacterias um so pseudomonas bacteria, um, very, very damaging for individuals with cystic fibrosis, um, very hard to detect at low levels, requires very invasive scoping. And also one of our really interesting projects moving forward is E. coli. And probably E. coli as a bacteria doesn't mean much to people, but if I say it's one of the leading reasons for urinary tract infection, people then start to, most people have had a relative, elderly relative, um, who um or even themselves who the first major change to their life and independence was an undiagnosed urinary tract infection which resulted in rapid delirium you know mm. you get very confused very quickly and then a bad fall mm. results in a long hospital stay mm. and many of these individuals never return fully to independent living we know it's a big issue it doesn't matter who you speak to medics you know, hospitals, there's a big issue in, in people with what well, is a relatively easy thing to do. Well, it sounds benign, doesn't it? And yeah. it also sounds it just affects one small bit of yeah, your anatomy. Yeah, exactly. So why sweat the detail exactly. kind of thing? Mm. Major effects on people's lives. Mm. Very easy to, 
to um, treat mm. if it's detected early. So mm. that's our focus now. Get on, see if we can do this and see if we can do this in a way where dogs will go and um, screen people in retirement villages, clubs, mm. any space where elderly people get together. And also, as you say, you know, the... the what an easy and pleasant way exactly. to be checked. We hope. <laughs> we hope. So that's our focus. That's what we really want to get right. Mm. Um, and, you know, I believe we can make a real, real impact. Claire, thank you so much for Not taking time thank to you. talk. May we come back and Indeed, follow up in another, very much. In another kind you. of yep. six, 12 months? Absolutely. And hopefully we'll have made some real progress and we can tell you what our next steps are. I would love that. Thank, thank you so you. much. Thank you. Well, what an amazing set of possibilities there are there in that overlap between the work of the biodetection dogs and medical science. I thought it was fascinating um, and I really enjoyed the visit. In fact, it was such a success that we're going for a mid-month episode this month uh, because I'm going to come back in some more detail about Plum, the uh, black Labrador who works as a biodetection dog um, in a bit more detail. So that's exciting. In the meantime, if you're enjoying the podcast, please do consider leaving us a review and a rating on Apple or wherever you get your podcasts. We really appreciate it and it all helps. I will be back in a couple of weeks, as I say, with Plum the Biodetection Dog. And uh, the following month, it'll be three amazing Springer Spaniels doing something truly unusual. Thanks for joining me. It's been great to have you along and have a great fortnight. I'll be back in two weeks. Dogs with Jobs, presented by Kate Fairweather and produced with John Wellsman. Come on, Petersfield, let's build a band. A beat from Dragon Street and a snare from the square. A bass from Penn's Place, a gliss from Liss and a fill from Bell Hill. Ooh, some vocals from us locals. And the Dave Gilmore of Tilmore. Only Petersfield's Shine Radio plays original music from local musicians. The Local Showcase with Mandy P is sponsored by Brickyard Studios. Petersfield's professional recording studio, rehearsal space and PA hire. The Local Showcase, Thursday nights at 9 and always online at shineradio.uk.